You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning, Redeemer. I hope that each one of you are well this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Rick Bowers. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. And if you are gathered with us this morning and you have spent the past couple of days at our marriage retreat, I want to give you kudos for getting up early, a little bit earlier, driving here together with us this morning, uh, and to be with us here for worship. I'm really thankful that you have done that. Um, We did just have a marriage retreat, for those of you who don't know, and I want to give a real quick and special thanks to Aaron Kellogg and Kelsey Easley for all the work that they did putting that together for us. It was just a fantastic time. Um, I think we have some photos. Yes, here's a couple of photos uh, from the marriage retreat and our time uh, there. It was a wonderful time. For those of you who prayed for us, I know there were people praying for the retreat, so I want to thank you as well for putting forth that effort. I think it was a fruitful time for us. I think it will result in uh, just a lot of life and uh, movement in the marriages here at Redeemer. It was a great time. Uh, My wife and I were able to go. We were blessed with our time with each one of you and our time learning from Bruce and Susan Wesley. Well, much like the marriage retreat, if you went, might have been a reality check in your own uh, marriage and in your own life, the passage we're in today is going to give us a heavy dose of reality as well. It's going to expose us a bit. It's going to expose some of our vulnerabilities. We're going to see things and parts of ourselves that we normally don't want people to see, parts that we don't want exposed, that we actually want to hide. Our text is going to expose some of the realities of our human, our human condition. Some of the reality of the human condition in my own home is that my family and I, we really love food. We love to eat food. Uh, we love to cook food. We love to drive places to have food. We love to have other people around us when we eat. Uh, my wife makes all things delicious, and so we get to reap the benefits of how that blesses our uh, little family. And it might follow that uh, we like to watch TV shows about food. And one of the shows that we're watching most recently uh, has this really famous chef, and he somehow uh, catches wind of a failing restaurant, and he will send some cameras in ahead of time, and it will videotape all the failures going on in the restaurant. Uh, Then he will disguise himself. He'll go to this failing restaurant, and he'll eat the food, and it's gross, and he can't stand it. And then he... um, Stands up, reveals who he is, everybody's shocked, and then he starts meeting with the staff, and he starts meeting with the manager, and he starts hearing all of the failures of the leadership of this restaurant. Then he'll make his way into the back of the kitchen, and he'll see all the the gross stuff in the kitchen, the grease that's been there for however many months, and the the rat droppings in places there shouldn't be rat droppings, and um, it's just a failure there. And then he'll make his way into the walk-in freezer, and there's a a failure there. There's food that's been there that's spoiled, that's rancid, that's rotten. And what he'll essentially do is just sort of pull back the curtains and he will expose all the failures of this restaurant. Then on this show in in 24 hours, he'll attempt to turn it around. It's sort of a little redemption story in every episode. Here's what's true in almost 99% of these episodes. The owner of the restaurant won't face the reality of their failure. They'll deny it. 
They'll kick and scream about it. They'll fight against this famous chef about it. They'll do everything they can to keep from being exposed, to keep from their failures being seen and known. And as humans, fallen and sinful, when we struggle with something, when we fail at something, when we give in to sin, we often want to hide it. We often want to cover it. We don't like for that to be exposed. We don't like our failures to be known. And today we're going to see some failure. Our text this morning is a case study in human weakness, a case study in reality. But our text is also going to show us something else, family. It's going to show us that God is willing to meet us when our failure has been exposed and to offer us redemption through Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and we'll get to work in our text this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you read us through it just as much as we read its words, that your spirit makes it alive to us and that you minister to us through it. And I just ask this morning that you would make us vulnerable to its truth, to your truth in our hearts and in our lives. I ask that you would illuminate those parts of our minds and our hearts that might be closed to you, where there might be darkness, where there might be um, failures of our own. I ask that you would richly provide fruit for us as we listen. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles and you haven't already, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 26 as Dave wonderfully read for us earlier. Uh, We've been in Mark since last year, and now we're drawing to a close of this really short and punchy gospel, this short story of um, the telling of Jesus's life. Mark's is the shortest and fastest paced gospel, and he's telling us all about this king, King Jesus, who's come in and whose kingdom is crashing into our world through this king. And it was just last week that we sat with this King Jesus and his disciples around a table, We watched them share a meal. We talked about what that meant. But today we're moving from the comfort and warmth of a meal to the wide expanse of a garden. The Garden of Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane means oil press. This was an area that's full of olive trees, an area full of oil presses on the Mount of Olives. It's a place where Jews would have camped out during Passover, which is during the season that we're in right now in the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospels tell us that it's also a favorite place of Jesus to go and pray. And it's where we'll find ourselves today in this text. And it's in this garden where the failure of the disciples begins to be exposed and where we're going to come face to face with some of our own failures as well. Follow with me starting in verse 26. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you'll all fall away for it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Right away, exposure. As they're camping in the garden, the first thing Jesus does is expose how the disciples are going to fail him. He said, there's going to be a moment that comes when you leave me. 
when your courage fails you, when you scatter. And look at their immediate response. They say, no way, not us. We're not going anywhere. In fact, we'll die alongside you before we deny you. This can't be true, Jesus. This can't be true of who we are. And it's not just one of them who will fail him. It's all of them. If you jump ahead to verse 50 in your Bibles, you can see it to be true, and they all left him and fled. Do you see the contrast? In verse 31, we will never leave you. We will die alongside you. And hours later, they all left him and fled. We don't like to be vulnerable, to think about the fact that we fail often. No matter how we might appear to be buttoned up and put together and our lives be in some kind of perfect order, we actually don't like to admit that we're full of weaknesses and that we make mistakes and that we sin. And when the truth comes to us, as it did to the disciples, when reality comes breaking through, most of the time we want to rebel against it by denying it. We want to pretend that it's not true. If you look around us, we have a culture that has no room for vulnerability, no room for failure. We live in a culture that rewards performance and perfection, a culture that rewards strength and a culture that rewards beauty, a culture that praises the people who can work really hard and rise to the top and pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but nobody wants a weak person. Nobody wants a person who makes mistakes. So when we discover that we have weaknesses, we do everything we can to cover them up. We do everything we can to hide them because we don't want anybody to know that they exist. We don't want anybody to see them. Every Sunday morning when you walk in these doors, I really hope that somebody asks you how you're doing. I hope that that happens. And how do you answer that? Do you say, I'm good? Say, I'm great? Say, Sunday, Lord's Day. I'm here and I'm ready. Is it true? Are are you good? Is that the reality of your condition? Or have you struggled with doubt? Maybe there's something going on in your life and you've been pleading with God for months to move and he's just not moving. And you're like, where are you, God? Why are you not moving in my life in this thing that I need right now? Are you struggling with insecurity in that moment? Maybe you just woke up that morning and all of a sudden you're like, man, I feel really insecure today about everything in my life. Or maybe a few days ago you dove too deeply into the dark corners of the internet. You've been convicted. You've been eaten up by that ever since. But when we answer that question, how are you doing? We're going to say good because we don't want anybody to know what's really going on in our lives. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to be exposed We don't want to have to confess our weaknesses and sin. We just want to cover up because we don't like to be exposed. Let's keep moving in our text. Start with me. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came back and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and he, they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour's come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I want you to grab eight words in this passage in your mind for a moment in verse 40. They did not know what to answer him. Hold that in your mind for a moment. Jesus has come into the garden for one purpose, to pray to his father. And as he moves away from the other disciples, he takes three people with him. Who does he take? He takes Peter, James, and John. These were the same three men who Jesus took with him up on the mountain to witness what we call his transfiguration when he's revealed in all his glory, when Moses and Elijah come down, when God speaks from a cloud where Peter says, hey, let's camp out up here. This is so fantastic. These are the same three men Jesus takes up with him in that mountaintop experience. And when Jesus goes to pray, he says, hey, guys, I want you to do two things. I want you to stay awake and I want you to pray. But they couldn't. They couldn't do it. Three times Jesus goes away to pray, and three times he comes back to find them asleep, snoozing, eyes closed. Despite what these men had experienced on the mountaintop, they were incapable of true discipleship for 60 minutes. And when Jesus wakes them up and exposes their failure, grab that verse again, they did not know what to answer him. They couldn't stay awake. They couldn't do it physically to keep watch like he asked. They couldn't do it spiritually to pray like he asked. Physical failure, spiritual failure, more exposure, more failure, further evidence in this case study of human weakness. Sleep comes so easily to us, physical and spiritual. We love our physical sleep. And we get lulled to sleep spiritually by so many other things in our lives. If you're in here and you have a little one, uh, you might be able to relate to this. But when my wonderful and amazing daughter was small, she could not get into bed at night until she had gone through our entire dwelling and gathered every single stuffed animal that existed and pulled them into bed with her. And it got to the point where my wife and I thought, you know, she could suffocate and die because there are so many stuffed animals in this bed with her. <clears throat> so we did the parent thing. We limited it to five animals. Sometimes we kept with that. Sometimes we didn't. The good news is Nora has survived. She's great today. She's, she's still okay. But do you know why she wanted all those stuffed animals around her? Of course she do. She wanted to be comfortable. She wanted to feel safe. She wanted to feel warm. She wanted to feel protected so that she could go right to sleep. And I wonder what kind of things in our lives help us fall right to sleep spiritually. What comforts, what safeties, what cuddly control do we surround ourselves with that spiritually causes us just to doze off? Is it religious activity? Is that what makes us comfortable? 
Is it our suburban lives? Is it endless and mindless entertainment? Is it all of our pleasures, vacation, recreation, food, drink, all of these things? Do we fill our proverbial beds with them? Do they make us comfy? Do they help us doze off? Do they cause us to fail to stay awake and to watch and to guard our souls from temptation and sin and to pray to seek the face of our Lord? And then verse 37 hits us. Jesus says, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? And then our response is like the disciples, and we don't know how to answer him. We don't like to be exposed. Let's look at one more thing in our text. Follow with me, starting in verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came. One of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I was with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled, and they all left him and fled. One failure after another. Judas betrays Jesus. Our desire, our desire for things can lead us to betrayal, material things, our desire for other people, Our desire to protect ourselves can lead us to betray people that we love and care about. And then Peter, what does Peter do? He fights. When circumstances press in on us that make us feel completely out of control, some of us fight, we rage, we get angry, sometimes physically, but more often we do it with our mouth. Our anger comes out that way on people that we love and care about. And finally, what do they do? They run. Things are beyond what they can handle, so they flee. They exit the situation completely, like many of us do when things are beyond what we can handle. These are visceral actions of the human heart. They're reactionary. They are immediate. We deny, we sleep, we betray, we fight, we flee one thing after another. What Mark has done by recording all of this for us is that he's painted a very clear and perfect picture of our human condition, a shocking picture of reality. And we may not like that. We may not like to be exposed. We've got two more verses. Verse 51. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. What in the world? (laughs) Mark's the only one to record this. There's a lot of speculation about why. Some theologians will say, hey, this is Mark. He wrote himself into the story. Others will say, no way, he wouldn't have done that. But I'm going to tell you what I think, because I think it's important. Remember that all along, Mark has been showing us the inbreaking of the kingdom of God into our world through Jesus Christ, the King. Jesus is bringing something new, something unlike the old, a new man to replace the old man. And here in Mark, we're in the garden and our failures have been exposed. Denial, falling asleep, betrayal, fighting, fleeing, all of our mess on display. 
And here's this guy, naked, exposed, running to hide in a garden. Do you see it? There's another garden where the human condition was put on display. And where a man and a woman found themselves naked, exposed, and vulnerable, and ran away to hide. It's in both Eden and Gethsemane that we come face to face with the human condition. Like this naked guy here, and Adam and Eve in the garden, we've been exposed. Our failures and our sin are in the open, and we feel naked, and we have nothing to cover our shame, and we don't want to be vulnerable, and all we want to do is run and hide when we feel that way. But remember what I said in the beginning, that Today we're going to see God is always willing to meet us when our failure is exposed. In the first garden, Scripture tells us that after their failure and sin was exposed, while the man and woman were naked, Genesis 3 says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. In Eden... God provided the cover for Adam and Eve. He sacrificed a life so he could take a skin and cover their nakedness. He could cover their exposure and their sin and their shame. And here in Gethsemane, God prepares to do the very same thing again. But this time, it will be so much more. Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, will cover with his life the sins of the disciples, but not only of the disciples, also of you and of me. Jesus will be the sacrifice that covers us when we're exposed. God is always willing to meet us when our failures are out there and exposed, and he offers us redemption in Jesus. And here in Gethsemane, hear this, just like back in Eden, the ones who failed are not the only ones in the garden. There's somebody else there too. The behavior of Jesus, everything we see him do in this text, contrasts all the failures of the disciples. Here in the garden, the failures of these men are met with the faithfulness of Jesus. Why is he so faithful? Because he knows he's a son. He knows that he is a son of the living God. And for us to look at how he lives, we can then know how we can live. See, our redemption in Jesus doesn't mean that we're just covered with a measly animal skin. It means we are now covered with a robe of royalty. As a son or daughter of God, adopted into God's family, now given all the privileges now become an heir, and we are freed to live into that identity. It's an identity that Jesus is living out of here in the garden. It's the picture of a son going to his loving father when the weight of the world is on his shoulders, and because of Jesus, we can go to God like that as well. This is a moment in the life of Christ when what's coming is weighing heavy on him. He knows that like the olives around him, he will soon be crushed and poured out as well. And how is he feeling about it? How is he suffering? He is stressed, troubled, 
in deep sorrow, in agony, in affliction. But what does he do because of his identity as a son of God? He doesn't deny it. He tells it to his brothers. He doesn't hide it. He brings it to his father. He confesses what he's feeling, his difficulty, his struggle. Look at verses 33 and 34. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Jesus also doesn't allow the cares of this world to lull him to sleep, to tempt him to slumber or to sin. Instead, in his deepest moment of need, he's running to his father. And how does this whole text tell us he does it? He does it again and again and again. It says saying the same words every time. He is continually running to his father and pressing his needs into his father's hands. He's not taking a nap. And Jesus isn't fearful of not having control. He's not betraying his father because he desires something else. He's not trying to fight against what's coming. And he's not turning to run from it either. He is courageously facing what's in front of him. Confessing to his father what he wants, but trusting in the father's will for him. In verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is operating in this moment in his identity as a son of God, a beloved son of God. And it's because of the faithfulness of Jesus here and everywhere else in his life that we don't have to deny, betray, fight, fall asleep, or flee. Our new identity as a child of God frees us from those things. Because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, we can be honest with our own failure. We can be exposed. We can confess that failure. There is no need to run and hide. So this morning, church, where have... You failed. Who have you betrayed? What things are you running from? What things are you fighting against? And how are you sitting here working it out in your mind to deny that those things are actually happening at all? We don't have to fear the reality that we're weak, that we fail, that we sin. And we don't have to fear being vulnerable, being exposed. Jesus has covered us and we can run to God and confess those things. We have a new identity in him. Every sin, every failure has been paid for and covered by the blood of the lamb that was slain. And you, Christian, are now a son of the living God. You can cry out, Abba, Father, just like Jesus does in the garden. Paul points this out when he writes in Galatians 4. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son... An heir through God.
Church family, a son or daughter of God doesn't have to fear vulnerability. They have no need to run and hide when they sin or when they fail because they are, hear this, known fully, loved completely, forgiven forever and eternally secure because God has met every single one of our failures with the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I just confess that it's scary. It's scary sometimes to think about admitting our failures. It's scary sometimes to think about confessing our sin. We see a picture of failure today in your word, and we know that um, we fail like that too. But in opposition to it, we see the faithfulness of your son, Jesus. We know that even when we are unfaithful, even when we are broken, he is not. And we can keep our gaze fixed upon him, fixed upon his life, fixed upon the work that you've done for us through him. We don't have to be afraid to confess those things that we fail at. We don't have to live in those failures either. We are no longer condemned, but we can live free as sons of God, having all that washed away because of what Christ has done, his life, death, and resurrection. Thank you for that. Help us and guide each one of us in our lives as we take this truth and as your spirit applies it to our hearts. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.